0: Welcome to the GM's Corner, a Brister baseball podcast where we put general managers on the hot seat and try to steal all of their secrets so that I can win better. Of course, I edit all of those out so that nobody else can hear them. It's all for me. Uh, I am Ron Collins, the general manager of the Yellow Springs Nine, and today I am here with Scott Piccoli. Did I I pronounce that properly, Scott? That, That is correct. Excellent. He is the general manager of the Twin Cities River Monsters, uh, has been since, I think, about 2031, 2032. We've been division yeah. mates ever since that whole time, I believe, even through all the different swaps. So this is a exciting exciting moment for me, Scott. Thank you for joining me this morning. I oh, appreciate it. Thank you. Um, let's see. I think that uh, looking back a couple of days ago on your record, I think you actually joined the league for a few games in the 2031 season. Uh, so, this actually kind of marks your full decade um, this year, I think.
1: Yeah, that's correct. I think there was only two Sims left when I took over in 31,
0: yeah. if I remember right. I uh, went to the playoffs in 2033 then, so a, a year later, yeah. 2035 again, 2037, and things were really flowing. Uh, then we'll, you're back now this year, but what happened around that 2037,
1: 2038, whatever time period? Well, I kind of got nostalgic with a few too many players and tried to keep everybody, and ended up. Oh. looks like I'm missing you.
0: No. I got Are you, you. Still there? Yep. You hear me? All right.
1: How much did you take? Yeah, how much did you catch that? I got it. Oh, okay. Yeah, so the I end up like signing to or signing extensions to too many guys, trying to keep them all, and uh, uh, end up happening was when it just was running out of cap room, and I had to pull the plug. I think it was 2037 when I pretty much pulled the ripcord. Um, and I think I talked to you about it because I was like, I have I have no idea what to do here because because <laughs> things things are. Things are not looking good, so I basically had to almost start over from scratch there for about four or five seasons.
0: Yeah, definitely. Three, three or four, yeah. When you went about doing that, after you sat back and tried to look at things, um, did you kind of generate a plan for how you were going to go about doing this rebuild, or did you kind of go on the fly? What was your, as you as you did your triage, how did you go about making your decisions?
1: Well, the, what I was figuring was, is the way this game's set up, it seems like it's better to have a, an overall better team across the board, which is what I was seeing on the better teams. You know, maybe they might have a few top guys, but they seem to have solid players up and down the lineup. Um, so my plan was, was to try to trade off any guys I had that was worth anything, which at the time was mainly Chris Kelly. First we had Josh Brown and I think it was Joey Newhouse and um, a couple other, maybe a couple other guys. And the plan was just just get as many prospects as possible. I mean, just, you know, and make it like a four-year plan, you know. And they were all young and figure it would just take about three or four years of struggling. And here they are. They're all seeming to come up together about the same time right now.
0: Yeah, it seemed to um, me like you and Brandon uh, in Charm City both have a similar mindset or took a similar mindset, and I'm interested to hear you talk about that a little bit, um, kind of almost just ripping the Band-Aid off, because if I remember right, your big moves, right, your uh, trade-off of Kelly and Newhouse and a couple of the other guys all happened within, you know, a game month, um you know, this set of three or four sims, it seems like you moved pretty quickly, if I'm recalling, right? Was that...
1: It was all at the deadline. It was, at
0: the... okay. it was all
1: at the, right at the tra- trade deadline. All, of, all of that happened pretty much in that sim. Um, I remember I was talking to Matt at the time, and then ah, I can't remember his name. Was it Tyler who was doing, who was Jacksonville? Yeah. Right, so... I almost had something set up with Matt. And we were working on something, and it wasn't as good as it I, I was hoping. And then Tyler just threw the kitchen sink at me, and I had to go with that. And then Matt changed directions, and you know, said, "Hey, what about Josh Brown?" And I said, "Sure, work something there." And that's uh, how I got. Uh, I think Juan Valdez, who was a reliever, and my plan was to try to convert him to a starter. So mm-hmm. that seems to be working, that seems to be working pretty good. He's actually, he's actually doing pretty good this season in his first year as a starter. There you go. So, so, and I've, you know, and it was funny because it seemed like right when, when Twin Cities was starting to go down, you know, and I, I was getting the lower draft picks, uh, the draft started getting a little weaker.
0: So <laughs> Perfect I didn't get timing, Scott. <laughs> it was,
1: yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was frustrating because I'm, I'm sitting there picking about like six to seven. And there was maybe one or two good players in every draft. And it wasn't like those earlier drafts from 37 and 38 yep. where there was solid players almost all the way through the first round.
0: Sure. And in the, top,
1: in the top 10 players were just all-stars for the most part. So,
0: yeah. How have you used the uh, free agent periods during the fallow time period and how has that changed over the past year or so?
1: as band-aids, basically. Um, just picking up guys to fill holes. Uh, you know, I lost, wear him. I let him go, uh, cause I couldn't, couldn't afford him anymore. Or I didn't want to afford him anymore. Um and I just picked up, uh, I think it was Brawn. So I had Braun for a few seasons and he was actually pretty solid. He wasn't too expensive. So, mm-hmm. and then, uh, and then, you know, just finding guys to fill up the, the, uh, the pitching staff which was a mess and it's still kind of it's still patchwork now but i still don't have the pitching staff anywhere near where i'd
0: like to see it but you know you talked about the the uh, draft classes thinning out a little bit i think it's been a tough couple of years to do a rebuild through the draft in that sense and especially given that uh, pitching is very tough to build from the bottom up um, without a little bit of luck and a little bit of lightning, <laughs> right? And what I'm seeing is, is, that, and we've
1: always, I've always heard this and I've seen it before. Was uh, it's how slow pitchers develop versus the position players? Mm-hmm. So all those, a lot of those people that I was picking up in those early, earlier seasons. I mean, all those position players are ready. They're playing now, and several of the pitchers that I got, they're still looks like two or three seasons away. So yeah. timing's not really working out too good there on that. So yeah.
0: On the other hand, I mean, Twin Cities is basically back. I think you've surprised a lot of people with uh, the speed of your of your jump, and that makes sense. I think um, I haven't looked in the last couple of days. I, if I recall right, you won 68 games last year, uh, 68, 69, something like that. Um, right, right. And you know now we're sitting here. The the two of us are are busy uh, sucking the exhaust pipe of Louisville because they're uh, uh, right for some god awful reason. Loserville is doing their <laughs> thing, you know. Um, right. But I think the big surprise is Twin Cities. I don't think that the that the world was expecting Twin Cities to be sitting here a game off of the lead. Um, You know, Mark Wareham is back and doing some amazing Wareham things. Um, did his, did his, uh, eye rate actually bump? I want to say it's like 11 or 12 now. I, that doesn't sound familiar, but
1: yeah, uh, it's 11 now. And let me look at it. It, it did bump to 11, but I think it's been there for a little while. Yeah, it's been there for a few seasons. So I think the reason it bumped was when we transferred from, uh, Absolute ratings to relative.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So if you look back, it shows that 11 rating going all the way back to 2032. So I think he hit that bump and at, and that, that when we went to that relative rating too, his, his other ratings took a hit because he yeah. used to have seven, he used to have seven for contact and, right. and now they're four. But if you look back at the deals, he really hasn't declined all that much. If you go back far enough through his ratings. So yeah. it's the only thing that's really declined is his fielding and his and his base speed and his base training speed. So if you use him the same way, he should be able to perform like he used to when I had him before, but you got to stick with him. I know a couple of teams failed on him, you know, but you got to, you just got to leave him up there at the top of the lineup because he's going to have those weeks where he, he goes 0 for, but he gets like two walks or three walks or.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, he's a, uh, he's the, uh, what does Doug, uh, what does Shoeless call him The unicorns, right? He, he likes the unicorns. He's the unicorn. Uh, Yeah. He's (laughs) a really weird unicorn in relation to real life. Uh, But, you know, at the end of the Uh, day, he's a 400 on base kind of guy. And it almost doesn't matter when you get to that level, it doesn't matter whether you're hitting or walking in order to get there. You're still providing value. Right. And, and and crazily he's, even after a, I
1: think we're a little over a month in the season, he's still on a 200 walk pace, 200 plus walk pace in the <laughs> That's a, that's incredible. It <laughs> that yeah, is.
0: It's uh. It's I, pretty I, amazing.
1: I, yeah, I don't know if he'll, he'll stick with that because you know the one thing I've always noticed is he's always starts a little stronger and he kind of fades a little bit. So I'm going to try to mitigate that with giving him more rest. I don't know if it matters. But, you know. <laughs> well, Hopefully it can't it hurt,
0: and he's 33, right. so he's going to degrade a little bit. The thing that I've been boggling the most about Wareham, um, you know, you mentioned his fielding had fallen, but this year he's actually uh, at least a league average plus a little bit um, in the field, right. which is, um, I mean, if you get that out of him, that's a uh, pretty big. You know, you get a 400 on base percentage guy who uh, fields his position. Uh, it's hard to ask for a whole lot more than that. So. Right, 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 right. And I know Wareham is like a Twin Cities, uh, legend, right? I mean.
1: Yeah, yes. Yeah, it, it killed me having to let him go, but at the time I, he was asking like 20-something million for an extension. I was like, I can't do it. I don't
0: have the money. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah uh, and that was back in the day when 20 million was a lot of money.
1: <laughs> well, it is when your, your, your turret salary is at 105 million already. So you're, you're just, you're up against it. And you don't have anywhere to go, you know? So you,
0: yeah. yeah. Well, so man, talk you yeah. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that because, you know, this, the salary cap in the Brewster, um, you know, I know there are other leagues that do salary caps, um, but um, you know, the, the salary cap in this league, I think is one of the most important things. That we have to kind of cap the big teams, right? You can't run away. It's not easy to stay on top. Uh, my my experience is, um, you know, and you can see it in my um, Yellow Springs in the late 30s. We kind of ran out of some gas. We had a tough year when a bunch of guys left right. and, you know, it ends up looking pretty nice because I ended up recovering. But literally 2037 and 2038, I was kind of holding on to the edges of my seat, thinking, "Okay, the uh, the the coin is flipping and is turning up in the air, and it's going to land here in 2038 and 2039, and I'm either going to be fine or I'm going to have to do a <laughs> do a teardown." I think you were oh, right. in that situation in that 37 38 time period. Um, right. So right. tell me about how you uh, I mean were you comfortable did you understand the full salary cap ramifications at the time or what did you learn in that process
1: well the, the thing I learned was is I think Ted used to say it best was uh, trade a guy before before you lose the value out of it and but by, by that I think he was meaning is if you've already signed him to a high dollar extension you've lost the value there so uh, especially if they even lump a little bit. So it's some of those guys you got to determine early on, you know, I'm talking like the mid range guys, you know, someone like a, a Ray Cooper who I had, which of course I loved him and ended up signing. He was one of the killer, just killer contracts I had. So, um, he, you know, he, he, you can find another Ray Cooper, right? Either through the draft or, or you know, maybe a free agent and, and, and maybe spend seven, eight million for them or whatever. But when those guys get near the end of their arbitration and they, if, if you hang on to them, they're going to, they're going to ask the, the, the world out of you, you know, they're going to go, they're going to go 12, 15, you know, up a million and you just got to resist it <laughs> and either train them or just let them go. You know, that's hard. You know, sometimes those guys, you had them forever, you drafted them and you brought them up and you just got to let them go and get your draft pick for them you know if they've performed so mm-hmm. that's what I you know you know him I, it was him and uh man you know if you remember that second baseman i had for him oh yeah gorilla
0: i definitely yeah, yeah. remember i mean believe me scott i was paying a lot of attention to the river monsters in the <laughs> mid 30s you were right. A he was pain in the he was another,
1: <laughs> yeah he, he was a, he was another one i just i signed to a long term deal and i and there was no reason to you know i could have re- There's guys that you can replace and you gotta, you gotta identify them and, and, you know, and just learn to let them go, I guess. And then, then there's guys you want to keep. Like, uh, if I had to do it all over again, uh, I would have kept Wareham and I would have kept Kelly. And I don't know about Josh Brown. He never, you know, he, he started off early on. Him and, him and Kelly were, were, were side by side growing up, you know, when they were developing and, Josh, I mean he's he's been a decent pitcher, but he never got to where he where he should should have been.
0: So. Yeah. And that's something that I really love about the game. because that's mimics, you know, real life. You'll see guys come up together and they're both considered superstars. You know, Josh Brown is I, a is a uh, victim of his um expectations. If, right. if you would just look at Josh Brown and his career, you'd go, Hey, that's a pretty good little pitcher. That's a nice guy to have on your team. I'm happy to have right. Josh Brown. You can throw him into the number two, number three slot. And he's just a nice, solid, reliable pitcher. And, uh, but you know, like you said, he came up and I think everyone was expecting him to be, you know, mini, mini Nebraska.
1: <laughs> well, he was, yeah, he was, a, if you look back on his deal and his, Back in 33 and 34, he was a 75 rated pitcher back then. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he just, he did never, he never really loved, uh, he just never grew into it. You know, his, his movement, his his movement and control never changed. Uh, and even now his, you know, his stuff has only gone from an eight to a seven, but he, he just, he never, he never grew into it. I think it was that change up, which a lot of, pitchers never fully develop. the yeah. changeup never has never panned out. So
0: Yeah, the changeup definitely is um is the most egregious offender of the pitch that doesn't come in. But more of them come in than most people I think um expect, you know, before it's all said and done. You uh, I, earlier on uh, the last day or two, I think I saw a, a blurb from you either on Slack or on the forum. They all kind of mix up in my brain these days. Right. Um, that you feel like you're just one pitcher away. Talk to me about Brian King in that sense. Is oh, is God. he going to make it up? No,
1: <laughs> he is not. He's not. He's not anywhere close to any. Um, and you know, it's funny you were talking about earlier. I was going to bring this up. Was uh, the big difference between the team this year and last year, I think if you look at the, the big differences, it's solely in the offense completely. The the pitching staff is actually almost right where it was last year. It's a little better on the bullpen side, but the starters are still pretty – not doing great. You know, the ERA is like about 5.4 for the starters. So that's what I have thinking is if I can just – there's enough offense there that if I can get maybe one more starter in there and, you know, so I can – I think that would be enough to, to make an actual serious contender out of the team. Um, as it is, uh, I think if, as the season goes on, I'm going to see that if the team's going to struggle against the top teams that have, you know, the quality number one and two pitchers. That sure. can shut it, shut it down, you know. And the, and the, and the pitching on the team is not going to keep up. It's not going to be able to keep up with those those teams. So, um, I just need a pitcher, a couple, well, maybe one more pitcher that can keep a game somewhat close and get into the other team's bullpen. Hopefully, there you go. <laughs> that's what I. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking there. But, yeah, it's kind of so a.
0: You know, if, I, I think it's kind of an interesting thing. I, I was interested in talking to you a little bit about your pitching staff, actually, because. Um, You know, you've got a couple of starters who I think are, you know, solid. You know, people would look at and say, Hey, I'd like to have them on my team. Um, Right. um, You know, your uh, was Perez kid, I think, is one who just come up. Yeah, Jose Perez um, is a guy who's come up and is looking really solid. Um, Right. You know, it makes me uh, wonder in today's world, In I'd say today meaning the last decade plus of vast experimentation on how to use pitchers and how to get the most out of them. I mean, it almost feels like the main reason that you need another starter is just to take a little load off of your bullpen, because otherwise it seems like you... Kind of drop right. pitch counts on your starters, on your more mediocre starters. You let one or two of your guys go a little longer, and you basically hope the other team gets into your pen before the, your starters give up a bunch of runs. <laughs> that's,
1: yeah, that's absolutely right. And
0: because you do have a pretty nice looking little bullpen.
1: Um, let, let, and last season just terrified the crap out of me because I've had I had three solid rookies come up, and it was. There was Perez, and then the other one was uh, Liam Thorpe, who just went back on the DL. Um, and the other one was, oh, I can't remember. But they all went down, and they were all rookies, and they went down. And I thought I was babying them. You know, I had them at, a, I think, a 95, 96 pitch count. And and sure enough, they all went down for almost, almost a year each. And two of them lumped hard. Liam lumped hard, and I think Medoza the other one. And he's, he's lumped so bad that I don't think I can pitch. He, I don't think he'll be, come back to the BBA. Um, mm-hmm. if he does, there will be a, a low, uh, reliever. So the whole managing the pitching between the managing the injuries and the bullpen is still eluding me. I, it's, it's a mystery that I haven't really solved yet is how to put that all together. Um, and I, and I think in what, in the last version of, of, uh, of OTP 20 has made it so you can't see what the other managers are doing now with their bullpen.
0: <laughs> yeah, they, there's and, you been know, a, a fix on that. I don't really like that. It is annoying to me. I, I mean, well, and I, I used to learn a
1: lot from that because I would see what the other teams were doing with their bullpen because I was trying to figure it out. You know, how do these guys doing this? Because I, you know, I'd go back and watch replays. And I would almost be screaming at my manager, going, "Dude, why are you leaving him in there? Or why are you bringing the, you know?" And and sure enough, the guy would get, you know, just destroyed. And I would just coming out of my seat, going, "How how can I man- fix this? Fix the AI on the on the bullpen? you know?" Because I still haven't really figured out how to get that to work the best best way possible.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of those uh, magical things that. Um... You know you, you as soon as you think that you've got it figured out, you know uh, something is going to go different, <laughs> you know. Um,
1: right, because I, I, I watch agree. what
0: Steven does, and I watch what Alan does, and I watched what Ted did, and I, I watch what uh Matt does. And um, you know, I think at the end of the day, one of the my, my own little twist on it is uh, I try to learn what everyone is doing and watch what everyone is doing, but then. Uh, I look at my personnel and try to fit which one of those strategies fits my personnel best. Uh, Because it's not like the strategy works well if you don't have the guys, and if you've got the guys, you want to use a different strategy. (laughs) I think that's the answer. I I don't really know, but that's my um, that's my current state.
1: Well, it doesn't always seem to make sense to me why the why the game brings in certain guys and certain and certain. You know, positions, uh, um it seems like, uh, eighth, the eighth and ninth inning tend to go okay, but in six and seven, it's just baffling because I'll, like, I've had, I got Ragnar in there in the bullpen because he's just been terrible and, and they brought him in in a game that was tight in the seventh inning. And I'm like, I, I don't, <laughs> I've got three, I've got three or four guys up above him that would, would have been way better picks. Yes. I'm sure I've given up hits. And I'm, like I said, I was ready to, just, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Did you ever play the front page football way back in the day?
0: I um, did not. I think it
1: was 95. I did oh not. my God. That game was outstanding. It was almost a purely sim game. And, uh, you, you had to develop everything in it. You, you, you made the plays and then you had to put together the playbook. Oh my. And you you could set almost every, like for third and, you know, for third and long, you know, the game right here, depending where you're on the field, you could tell the game what what, what what place to pick. And for someone that enjoys stuff like this, that game was amazing. And then, of course, later on, it got to be more arcadey, and I think they lost that. But right. that was, that was, uh it was actually that game that got me into the baseball sims because they had a front page sports.
0: Baseball as well. Well, there you go. I think that's actually the uh, game that that uh, launched the Brewster by by legend of Matt. He was uh, working with oh, his really? friends and oh, okay. came into front page baseball, and then and the rest is history. It's gone through a long uh, cycle uh, there. So, yeah, yeah, it was a great game. Yeah. So, how did you find out of the park?
1: You know, I. You know, I just gotten out of it and I just saw it on, the on Steam and I was just looking at it and I'm like, my God, that looks a lot like front page sports. And I don't know how long, I guess it, it's going on three years now. So, uh, I decided to pick it up and was fooling around with it. And, I, and then, and then, you know, I was like, well, time for an online league because that's where these are. And
0: then BBA
1: just happened to be the first one I picked. So there
0: you go. You might as well start looked- with the best.
1: Right, it's been a learning curve ever since because it's such a competitive league.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it seems like it's just kind of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Um, you know, perfection, uh, synchronicity, right? You just stumble upon Out of the Park, the best baseball sim. You just stumble upon the BBA, the best (laughs)
1: league,
0: and you stumble into the Heartland, the best division in the best league of the best baseball sim. I mean, how can you get any more uh, perfect Perfectly synced than that.
1: Well, I got to say, I got to, I think, I got to thank Nigel. uh, For whatever reason, he abandoned Twin Cities after I think it was one one sim. Uh, I can't remember who had it before team before, but uh, I was very fortunate when when I took over Twin Cities. I mean, there were it was just loaded with young young players.
0: There you go. Yeah, Twin Cities was a a remnant of the EBA. Expansion draft, draft, which uh, which was which was a good one, um, as far as that goes. Let me uh, go ahead and and transition. I'm going to go and do a actual lightning round. I've made a executive Uh, decision here. Uh, Okay, sure. And I'll I'll throw you a couple of really super hard ball questions and and. We'll see where it goes and then after that if you want to, you can ask me a few questions and, and whatever. First one I've got to ask, and that is because I'm sitting here uh looking at the computer screen and behind you is this fantastic picture uh, picture of uh of a guy and a kid and this humongous fish. Oh.
1: You've got oh, to yeah. tell me the
0: story behind that.
1: Oh well uh I live on the uh uh the Gulf Coast here and uh I love going to the beach and go fishing, and uh, a couple of years ago, um, I bought a drone to fly the baits out, and so I try to get the, the big redfish and the sharks, and we just happened to land a big redfish there. I think it was like 45 inches. Yeah. So, my daughter actually, uh, she reeled that one in, so it took her about 40, 40 minutes to bring that one in, and <laughs> by, the time we, by the time we had it on the beach, it was down there, and side I think it was a middle oh, mother monster crowd all around her So it was, it was awesome she had this huge smile for for the for the
0: for the benefit of the folks who can't see it how old is your daughter in that picture uh,
1: she's I think 15 there.
0: okay because um, that fish looks like about as long as her, as your daughter
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah she's pretty short anyway. she's a She's a wrestler she's a wrestler like me, so um, and yeah, she's she's just a little thing, you know. She's to uh, like five foot and wrestles uh ninety-eight pounds. And there you go. Uh, well, she count, can wrestle but, that kind of yeah. fish
0: in for a forty minute fight. That's a, uh she she is yeah. a better person than I am, I can tell you that <laughs> <Yeah>. right now. Yep. <laughs> yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right I know we've got a couple of guys on the coast
0: too, so <laughs> Favorite sport.
1: Uh, well, to watch probably football, but to play is baseball. Um, and I've kind of taken a few years off. I used to play traveling teams, and whether it was softball or fast pitch softball or baseball. Um, and I was actually getting ready to get back into get back into it uh, before this whole thing lockdown hit. There's a there's an Go over ahead. forty league. Yeah, there's an over 40 league down here in Houston. I was going to jump on that.
0: Oh, so very cool. I'm pretty do, excited to play. So, do you play through high school and college?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I only went for one year in college, but yeah, I played through high school too. Yeah. And then, just, you know, played off and on through 20s and 30s, you know, different traveling teams, whatever.
0: So, yeah. What, uh, what position is yeah. your, is your bag?
1: Well, um, I think I'm going to have to be stuck with catcher because I can't run like I used to anymore. Um, and that's the one I, that's the one I, that got me up to varsity when I was younger. I just, I like playing catcher. Um, There you go. But I also like playing the outfield and and, and second base. Um, and, but yeah, catcher is by far my favorite position to play.
0: Is that for its kind of central role in everything that happens or is is there something? no, no, I
1: like it's it's uh there's something just fun. It's like when you're in the middle of the game. There's it's it's it's, it's like you and the pitcher are separate from the rest of the field, anyways. You know, there's just and you gotta you know I don't know how to describe it. It's like you're trying to help him along and you're trying to work with him. And if he's struggling at certain parts, um, you kind of have to identify what he's doing good at. Um, I like locating the pitches. You know, just doing what I can to, to fool better you know when it's all working, man, it's awesome. It's yeah, it's not a lot of fun if the guys getting shelled. that's for sure, but
0: no, oh, yeah, definitely. No, yeah. I mean it sounds yeah. it, it's it seems very um, this weird mesh of of leadership and parenting and cajoling and, uh, also actively involved in doing your part, uh, you know, it all kind of rolls together. Um, it, it reminds me right. when you, when you talk about it, it reminds me of how I felt, uh, leading various teams that I have, um, uh, that I have led as a worker. Um, because right. you're, you're trying to develop people and you're so excited when they do great. And if something falls through, you know, you got to step in and do the, do your best to make it not bounce so hard, right? <laughs> yeah. You know. So I, mean, I, I
1: remember. I remember a year. I think it was my sophomore year. Um, and one of my best buddies, he was also a, he was a pitcher. And I I don't know how it came up, but I was asking him. I was like, Why don't you throw a curveball? And he's like, Man, I don't know how to do it. So I, I always wanted to be a pitcher, but I just didn't have you know I didn't have the control or the velocity. But I I thought, Man, you can do it like this. I showed him. Sure enough, that guy was even was throwing it in the game, and it was working. <laughs> I was like, this is great. So, yeah, and the other side too is, you know, when you're playing outfield, and the game can get a little boring out there, um, especially if the pitchers struggling. And
0: yeah, that's why I, I, I always liked the middle infield. I was never, I was never, yeah, I was never much interested in catcher because it seemed like too too dang hard, but. Uh, middle infield was you're always in every single play, always thinking, you know, it's there's never anything boring there. So
1: Right. I agree.
0: What what thing do you spend the most time on BBA wise?
1: Uh I think I've talked to you about this before. I I wish I paid more attention to what was going on the rest of the week. I just get buried in my team. You know, every sim I'm just going up and down the minors trying to see if Brian Kelly is actually Not Brian Kelly. Brian King, if he's actually going to develop one of these days, um, just seeing how they're performing, um, and then making minor adjustments, especially in the bullpen. uh, You know, just trying to identify who's going to, you know, who's going to have a solid year. Mm -hmm. Those middle, those middle-rated guys are funny. Um, You know, those 50 guys, 55, 45. Some of them will perform above their rating seems mm-hmm. like. So you need to try to find those guys early and keep them in the place where they can, you know,
0: you can use them and,
1: and try to find the guys that are going to struggle that year and just, you know.
0: Yeah. And, no, I think that's you know, actually interesting because, right, you get a guy who's, who's, you know, 60, 65, 70 uh, overall ratings, you're pretty certain those guys are going to perform if you leave them. Even if they go right. through a weird cycle, they're going to perform. Uh, But where the fun of the game is for me is those uh, 40 to 50, Um, you know, 45 and 50 players. Yeah, at that stage, you're almost playing. I'm almost playing stats only kind of um, um, kind of mindset because, you know, the performance difference between a 45 can be very uh, uh, wide. And then you get into the question of how is LOTP actually calculating that 45 versus all of the components. And you know, I guess, I mean, yeah. that's that's where the 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 baseball chess is. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, right. So uh, favorite BBA player and why?
1: I'd say right now it's definitely Mark Wareham. Um, he's just he's been there ever since the beginning with, and uh, uh, I like that he's he's different. And I know some people are like they don't understand, and <laughs> but. <laughs> He had a like a six-year stretch or a five-year stretch where he was probably the best shortstop in the league. No, oh, yeah. Um, and I don't—he'll never get back to that point again. But I—I I think he's sort of going to be a contributor.
0: Well, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think you know it. The interesting thing about Wareham is how will he age? Um Because if he really does end up aging well and continuing what he's doing this year, he's Kind of a borderline Hall of Fame kind of guy because, like you said, he was he was uh, he was an elite player for several years. Then he had a right. downturn, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, what does your family think about your your BBA out of the park? Um, uh,
1: you know, it's funny they don't see too much of that because I do. Um, my wife's seen it a little bit. She <laughs> thought it was funny because she recognized the, the movie it was from. Uh, but to be honest, I do a lot of it at work, so they don't actually see me much at home with it. So I you know, do a lot of lunch breaks and, you know, stuff like that. But, um,
0: yeah. How do you intend to celebrate your first Landis victory?
1: <laughs>
0: uh, save, know, the, have, save the tough question to last.
1: Right. I have actually no idea. Um Probably the same as uh, when I won my first fantasy football deal. Just start planning for the next season. <laughs> <you> go, just <laughs> See what get we're gonna do for Yeah, yeah It's. It, I think it's like anything where you know you're competing. The, the, the winning is nice, but the losing is way awful, and I hate the losing way worse than than the winning. So, <laughs> uh,
0: I, I can't. It's hard to
1: describe. You know, it's, it's, like I said, it's nice when you're winning, but if you win it one time, yeah, you, you, the only, the only thing better is going to try to win it a second time. So how are you going to do that? How are you going to get there?
0: Yeah. Well, seeing that I'm Yellow Springs, I'm never going to have to worry about what to do when I win. So
1: I got to know, I mean, how do you keep, what is your, what is your main strategy for just keeping the, you, you hardly ever dip. I mean, you, you just, you've got a, a constant stream of guys coming up. Like you look at your, your minor league system, and it's it's got to be top five, five or six. I haven't looked lately, but it, is it, you know, a lot of trades? Is that what you try to do? Is I mean, what, do you, what is your main strategy for that? What do you think?
0: Um, I think the most important thing, um, you know, Ted back a while ago uh, started his um, infamous uh, how do you win consistently, you know, hoarding talent and things like that. Right. Um, I
1: remember
0: that. And, um, and, you know, I think I kind of infuriated him at moments because I was jumping in thinking that I was essentially kind of agreeing with him and augmenting pieces. And, um, uh, the, the fundamental idea that I walk into, uh, managing the team with is that I'm trying to increase long-term value of my team at all times. Uh, that doesn't mean I'm successful all the time but that's what i'm attempting right. to accomplish and uh, so for example the question of whether you bring a, a young guy up um, and try to save service time you know you burn service time or whether you try to save service time um, i think is about um, long-term value if that player is going to actually provide you serious value on the major league roster you bring him up if and if, if that right. ends up being and by value I mean either increasing revenue or getting you to the playoffs, right? Um if he's not really going to if he's not going to get you to the playoffs and the revenue slash fan interest thing is borderline, then I don't know that it that I would want to bring up a young guy, right? Because then I'm burning value right now, especially if I'm coming up the curve, right? if you right. look at um you weren't in the league when i took over uh, yellow springs in 2024 2025 but we were kind of a crumbled team that had um in a similar sense as twin cities was when you picked them up um i had three or four really superstar players in my minor league uh, system and I caused some great controversy within Lucas McNeil's uh, process because I actually delayed him for, like, three months for service time issues, and people didn't like that. But I'm sitting there going, you know, I can bring him up. And, yes, he might have gotten me into the playoffs a year earlier, but we were 12 games off of the playoffs, and I think the answer to that is probably not. I don't think Lucas McNeil was going to get me 8 or 10 or 12 more wins that, um right. Oh, great. Uh,
1: baseball teams play that game all the time yeah they'll
0: yeah. They'll, keep, they'll keep
1: they'll keep guys in the minors until that that break point just uh just right and their
0: and their logic is that they are creating as much value for their team in the long run as they can and yeah it's kind of shitty for the player but that's the right. that's the bargaining agreement that the players union has agreed upon and if i if i want to turn my uh if I want to turn my attention to uh, social justice for players, then yes, I completely get that. But I'm a GM. I'm not a player. <laughs> and my job as a GM is to create the most value for my fans over the next 10 years, right? Um, right. And so, if you know, if you look at it in that way, you know, one of the things I liked about what you and Brandon did within the context of your teardowns uh, both of you made a—you uh, made a controversial trade. Uh, Brandon made a he's slightly controversial trade, not as much. But the main thing is, is you made a decision and you did it, and you immediately increased the value. Uh, you you gave up early value. You know you knew you were not going to be winning over the next three years, so you gave away value over that f- period of two or three or four years, so that you could put value into your team now. Um, and so you're you're juggling yeah. those two pieces, yeah. right? Uh, I think when you say do you do trades, the question is where are you at? Right now, I don't do a lot of trades. I do a few trades to fill a couple of spots, uh, right. but mostly, you know, that's I'm I'm in the mode now of maintenance. I, I expect for this year and the next couple of years. The most important thing is I know that it is possible. Uh, with hard work and with a little bit of luck, it is possible to actually win 95 games every year forever. It is literally (laughs) possible to do it. It's not not that I'm going to, but I now know that it is actually possible. So I'm actually, I I have a seven-year plan. I know who is going to play all of my positions or where my holes are going to be for seven years out. And the reason right. I do seven years is because we can do six-year contracts, <laughs> um, all right? So right. I've got this year plus six six, um, um, six out. Uh, that doesn't mean that that is what is going to happen, but it means that I know where my holes are going to be. So, for example, when I sit down to draft, I'm drafting to fill those holes out four, five, six years in the future, right? And cool. when, I, when I manage, I, I spend most of my time on the minor leagues. And so as I'm managing the minor leagues, um, you know, uh, I was with Joe yesterday and he was talking about he uh, enjoyed that I take a somewhat languid path. My players will take a somewhat languid path. Well, the reason that I can take a languid path is that I know I don't need that player or I might have four players in mind who are in short A who might fit this whole four years from now. I need one of those four to develop. I don't know which four, one of them it's going to be. <laughs> so I need to play all four of them in kind of lockstep so that right. they get to the point where they where. If only one of them pans out, I still win. Right. Because I just need one of those four players to make it. Uh, so uh, that's I think if there were one thing that I do that I don't know that other people do as heavily is that I literally do have a, a frame of reference of where almost any of my um, 45 and above prospects will fit if they pan out. You know, sure. 85% of those 45 prospects are not going to pan out. Um, so right. the big challenge, of course, is that I can get cattywampus on my um, plan if suddenly three of the guys who pan out are all second basemen. Well, then I've got to, I've got to do something to adjust, but then I can trade. I actually have made a couple of trades in the minor leagues for prospects in order to balance my, uh, you know, I traded a corner outfielder three or four years ago for Blaine Tyler and now he's up. Um, I traded uh, a catcher for a center fielder with California. California's catcher Sato is, is up in the majors. And now I've got Dugan, as a center fielder, and he's slated to take over for Civic in a year or two, depending on, on whether Dugan comes up or not. So, you know, I made those trades in order to fill slots that I knew were coming up. Um, right. As far as that goes, but it all starts with the idea that it is technically possible to win ninety five games every year forever if you get a little bit lucky with injuries, in particular, because nobody can nobody can protect against injuries.
1: Right. Uh, Especially 20-
0: yeah, 2037. <laughs> we lost three our top three starting pitchers. Well, you're you're not gonna. Yeah. Uh, there there is zero you can do to protect yourself from losing your entire rotation.
1: <laughs> so I, I I think here in about what three seasons, maybe four, we're going to see the craziest free agent market we've ever seen when those 2037 and 2038 guys run out of their arbitration years.
0: That's right. That's actually and, interesting. I've never thought about that. That is one of the most interesting, uh, things that somebody has said to me recently. Talk, talk to well, me more I about just,
1: that. Well, that's just going to redistribute the talent, I think, in a massive way. Cause, cause the way it is now, there's what every free agent market, but there's maybe four or five top guys mm-hmm. going to be available. I wouldn't be surprised if one of those markets coming up are going to, you're going to have 10 or 12. 70 to 80 rated guys coming out that are all free agents yeah um, and it'll I think it'll spread it'll I don't know it depend on how the GM you know manage it but I'm hoping well I don't know we'll see how that goes but I, I just felt like I missed out on those drafts a little bit I, I had a, a couple guys that, I mean I definitely had a couple guys that uh, that did well but I didn't really have the uh, supplemental guys in that draft you know mm-hmm. supplemental picks Man, it would have been great to have three or four supplemental picks in those drafts. Um, and I think we're seeing some of the teams that have, you know, I look, I look through their teams and, you know, they got these players and it, it's always like 37 drafted 38 drafted
0: 37. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I think there's, uh, you know, some aspect, you know, I'll go back to your question on me and how I do things. Um, You know, the thing that helps me in, among the things that I can do since I manage things the way I do it is I can take advantage of, of I'll call it, lucky time periods. In this 38-39 uh, draft trade is kind of lucky for me in the sense that I'm drafting very late in the process, but there are still solid players for three and four and five rounds through that, right, and right. supplementals. Um, right. I think I was one of the first general managers to really understand that the value of the, of how to create supplemental picks for yourself, right? Um, within the context of the rules and, and how to use your salary structure to do that. Uh, so I had a bit of a jump on that and I may be speaking a little out of, out of, uh, you know, too much of a big head there or out of turn. Maybe some other GMs did, but I know I created no. some controversy on it.
1: No, I could have, yeah, that was something I should have, if I had learned that lesson, you know,
0: some of those, those
1: players that, like I told you that were you know, mid-range players that mm-hmm. were performing well, like Ray Cooper and, and man. And I had a few other ones too. Um, like I said, if I had just let them go, I would have got a draft pick for him. Yeah. And guess what? And, you know, three or four years later, years later you've got a, a really <laughs> nice player coming up and you're, and you're only paying him 500 K. You're not paying, you know, you're not stuck paying him 15 million a year like I was doing, you know, So you know. yeah. so, and, and, and it was, I think it was Ted's post that you, that you referred earlier that kind of opened my eyes on that. He said the most valuable player in the league is the, is, is the 60, 65 rated guy that's making 500k for your team. Right. Um, if you can stick with those guys and learn to either, you need to learn to identify. Are you going to build around this guy? You're going to keep him or look, you're going to have to plan to let this guy go and
0: yeah, and I think there's a, a, caveat, a corollary on that, and that is um, everyone is looking for the '70s and '80s, right? When you see those nice big blue bars, everyone gets really excited about those. Um, but the other piece on those is, and and they're fantastic. I, I love, <laughs> I love my superstars, my young superstars. Right. The problem, of course, is they get to be very expensive. Uh, right. middle-aged superstars, whereas those 50s and 60s, you know, you can actually pay a $7, $8, 9000000 million a year tag to a guy who puts up three and four war and you're making money, right? Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, but those guys that make seven war, you're going to have to pay $20, $25 million for and you're either breaking even or it's a loss leader, right? You you you're paying a premium for the reliability of the war. <laughs> I,
1: no, and that was that was I think it was right at that time when I read when I was reading that was mm-hmm. when I made that Kelly trade. And I know a lot of people didn't like it, but I got five fifty five to sixty five players for that
0: for him. Yeah. I, and that's got, the backbone got, of your I team
1: got, right now. Yeah I got Calderon, um I got Aaron Dondo, you know, the second baseman. He's outstanding.
0: And he's a borderline got, superstar right there.
1: Right. I got Re- Raymond Gabriel. You know, he's a, he's, he's okay offensively, but he's a great, you know, defensive center fielder. I got, uh, Jose Perez, that pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't remember who the, the last guy was, but there was five, five mid-range guys that I got for him. And I, that, that to me at the time was more valuable than one. 75-rated
0: pitcher. Oh, yeah. It's uh, massively more valuable, actually, in the right. reality, especially when you are in the process of when you know you're not going to win for a couple of years, that 75-rated pitcher right. is almost a negative value. <laughs> it sounds weird to say that, and I completely no. understand that people's heads will explode when they say that. Um, right. But, they're, but from an organizational standpoint, you're, you're paying a ton of money for... Uh, or you're eating up this elite uh, level of performance for something that is not actually going to increase the value of your organization. Right. Um, but, yeah, I look at your team right now, and just flat out, I absolutely adore looking at your team. The, you have this work-a-day, high-capability, young team uh, that actually, since you don't uh, – Arredondo should probably be considered a superstar um level player but what you've got is a bunch of guys who are not going to be super expensive going forward you're going to have to play some juggling games and you'll probably have to find another place for one or two of them because you can't pay them all seven eight nine million dollars a piece but you can pay a bunch of them seven eight or nine billion dollars a piece and keep them around for a while so what you've really got is this platform now that you can look out for. I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself in your shoes, right? I think you have this platform that you can look out for the next four to five years and you go, okay, these guys are just going to be there. So I've got five years to build more on top of them. And if you are successful on it, then what ends up happening is you'll get this cascading wave, right, right? Where, this so group can of young, yeah, this yeah. group of young players will turn 28, 29, 30, and by that time, you'll have another set of young players to roll on top of them. And that's the root of this, you know, always win 90 or 95 games a year kind of a, a mindset. You know, Ted was on the 90 game a year mindset, and they said, no, 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 you should be thinking 95. You should always be able to win 95. <laughs> now, of course, if, as soon as everyone is doing that, then nobody can win no. 90 95. <laughs>
1: man yeah, i would take eighty five i would take eighty five with an occasional you know ninety five plus in there that would be i'd be happy with that as long as we're competitive i don't hopefully i don't have to go through another three season stretch again where you know <laughs> like i had before i think it was three or four seasons
0: there yeah but, well. well i mean and that's the you know hopefully you don't have to um but you know in my own shoes i you know there's going to be a time where the where i hit another one of those late thirties time periods and the coin is flipping and it comes down tails instead of heads. You know, I, I know that there will be a time where I will crash and burn and I'll have to rebuild my, uh, my next, uh, nexus point is probably about 2044. Um, we'll kind of see how things go over that, that time period. If, if it were such a, right. if it were able to be set up to where you never, ever, ever, ever have these problem sets, then it wouldn't be much fun. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I, I enjoy looking at your team right now, Scott. I I think you've done a spectacular Dang. job in, in building the baseline. And now I'm worried about what you're going to do over the next couple of years to hit the accelerator. Well, but in, in the meantime, we'll, we'll, we both need to beat Loserville. Yeah. That's just all there is to it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we'll see if they can keep that pace up. That I was. That they sure came out of nowhere, it seems like, which is,
0: yeah, well, Shaw is a pretty dang good uh, general manager. Uh, I know I know Stephen from another league, and um, he's also a high-risk, high-payoff kind of guy, right? So he, he made some really strong, bold moves, and they've panned out, and he had some good young players. And, again, Nigel left him. <laughs> Nigel leaves a lot of yeah. good teams behind.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. Well, he's got some good pitchers for sure. I'm yeah, he jealous. does.
0: They've been getting hurt though, so I'm wondering how long he'll be able to. As long as they, as long as his pitchers keep coming back from injury, he'll be uh, he'll be in good shape. Uh, and then right. of course Matt I, in Nashville and and Vic with Chicago is doing all sorts of. Uh, angsty things, getting good pitchers and all that. It's a this is a really tough division, but I think Twin Cities is the uh, most intriguing young team coming up, and so I've been extremely excited to spend some time talking to you about it.
1: Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Have me on.
0: Yeah, it's been great fun. Um, I think I should probably let you go to to do your to do your real work or your yeah. unreal work, right? The the less important stuff. <laughs> right. Right
1: hi right, man we'll, we'll take it easy and we'll see you on the field
0: the Brewster Baseball Association is an out-of-the-park baseball league commissioned by Mr. America himself Matt Rechtenwald and competed in by an amazing group of outstanding general managers check us out at montybrewster.net. you have been listening to the GM's Corner a podcast where we put BBA GM's on the hot seat Music is Cool Piano by Tijerius and is used under Creative Commons Attribution License. See you next time. Until then, have fun, be safe, and always remember that even a boring team news is worth two points.